If you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 14. We are going to wrap up chapter 14 next Sunday. Tony's going to bring the message, wrapping up chapter 14, then we're going to take about a eight-week eight week break from Matthew. We're going to do a December... <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> yeah, we started Matthew, I think, in January, and uh, we've gotten to 14. We've gotten 14 chapters in, but that's okay. That's all right. We're going to do a Christmas series starting in two weeks, and then we're in the month of January, there's something kind of big happening around here. Uh, I can't remember what it is. Oh, that's right. We're going to two services, uh, and so that's going to have its own challenges, and we're going to do a vision series for about three or four weeks there, talking about who we are as a church and what we do and why we do it. And, it's just a good time to revisit. We have so many new people coming to our church. I'm excited to teach this series. We usually kick off every year with that series, just talking about, hey, this is why we do what we do, and this is who we are, and, and, uh, and so I'm excited to teach that starting in January. Uh, but for today, you get Matthew chapter 14, and next week, you get Matthew 14. Um, and this is, a, this, is a good, this is a good week for us. Um, last week, we asked a, a very common question, why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? And, and we're going to ask a, another pretty common question that probably every one of us in this room have asked. Uh, so last week, we, we left with Jesus getting the news that his cousin and that his dear friend, John the Baptist, had been murdered at the hands of Herod. Uh, we won't revisit that. You can go watch that sermon back online if you need to. But John's life was taken from him. Um, really because he stood up against and he called out sin in Herod's life. And it's, it's, anytime you call out sin, you're probably in dangerous territory, but when you do it to somebody that has the power of Herod, uh, yeah, you're probably going to be in trouble and eventually would cost him his life. And, and so we ended in chapter 14 by looking at the very first part of verse 13. It says, as soon as Jesus heard this news that John had been Killed, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. And we speculated last week that that was perhaps to grieve the loss of John, that he just needed some time alone to grieve the loss of his friend. Uh, but his quiet time, his alone time would be short-lived because it goes on in the remainder of verse 13 to say, but the crowds heard where he was headed and they followed him on foot from many towns. If you don't know this, if you haven't been with us, Jesus has been doing a lot in Matthew. He's been picking up steam. At this point, he's a superstar. Anywhere Jesus goes, people are coming to see Jesus. Everyone, everywhere wanted to get a glimpse of this man that was speaking with unmatched authority, healing diseases, and at his word, demons were being cast out of people. Who wouldn't want to see that, right? And so people are coming from everywhere. To see this man, Jesus, could it be that he is the promised Messiah? We probably don't need to say this, but I will. The crowds that were following Jesus were probably more interested in his miracles than they were his message. They probably weren't coming from the villages to, to hear these great sermons as much as they were coming to see his great works. And anyway, Jesus sees the people coming, 
And he knows that they're just hoping for another miracle. And in verse 14, it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he was stepping out of the boat. And he said, are you kidding me? I just want some me time. (laughs) No, that's what we would say. (laughs) Like, I'm going on vacation tomorrow, and I'm going to take a week off, and and, uh, something's going to happen by noon tomorrow. Are you kidding me? I'm on vacation. My wife, she's already started. She goes, I got a to-do list. Like this morning, she's already like, we need this. Like, no, this is supposed to, yeah, this is me time. (laughs) Very selfish. It's not what Jesus did. He saw the crowds coming, and it says that he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Jesus was always about people because he was here. His purpose for being here was people. He did not, Matthew says this a little later on, we'll see. That Jesus did not come to be served, but Jesus came to serve. So immediately he, he sees the crowd and immediately he has compassion for them. Even though they see a miracle, not the Messiah, they're there for the miracle, not the message. He cares for them and he meets their physical needs by healing them. Now, one of the greatest examples, I'm going to pause here. This is one of those nuggets that I won't come back to, but. I believe one of the greatest examples that we can learn from Jesus as we are learning to live our lives more like him is to feel for people the way Jesus felt for people. Confession, this does not come natural to me. I'll never forget the time my mentor, Bob Tebow, as I was a youth pastor for 10 years, brought me into the office one day and said, Rick, you know what your main problem is? You don't have compassion for people. <laughs> and he was right. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Why are you keep making the same mistakes? Stop it. He goes, you got to love people. I'm like, I am trying to love them. <laughs> it doesn't come natural to me. The reason why is because we live in a world where it's easy to get jaded. We get tired. We get impatient with people. We stop seeing people as God's creation and we forget that God loves them as much as he loves us. Compassion is not a natural strength of mine, so I've got to go to the one who strengthens me and ask him to give me compassion for people. You can't guilt me into compassion. When you see me getting low on compassion, which is one of the reasons why I'm taking a vacation, I've had some staff around here going, you're getting a little moody. You probably should take some time. (laughs) Right? Like last week, I said, are you, are you okay? Why? Why are you asking? I don't know. I'm just saying you might need. When you see me getting a little moody and I'm not as compassionate, you can't, you can't guilt me into compassion. You need to say, hey, you need to go spend some time asking the one who gives compassion to, to breathe some compassion into you. you. You maybe have been disconnected a bit too long. And so we've got to go and we've got to say, God, would you help me see people? And would you help me feel for them as, as you see them and feel for them? This is the prayer that we should be praying as followers of Jesus. Who are the hard-to-love people in your life? You all have them. And if you don't have them, it's probably you. But who? Come on. We all know that, that person, those persons, that neighbor, that in-law, that neighbor co-worker. They're just so hard to love. And I'm asking you this, just be honest with God. Just say, God, I don't like them. In fact, I don't know why you like them. 
and just be honest with him and say, I can't, I won't love them unless you love them through me. I don't have the capacity, I don't have the strength to love them. Would you love them, would you remind me of how you loved me? And then would you love them through me? Would you give me your compassion towards them? Our mission as a church is to do for others as Jesus has done for us. If you hang around here any time at all, you're gonna hear that. Our mission is to do for others as Jesus has done for us. And at the root of that mission is compassion. It doesn't matter how well packaged the mission is, if we are not rooted in deep abiding, Jesus giving compassion for them, we won't be consistent in loving and serving them. I know we wish we could look and be most like Jesus when we're worshiping at church or when we're serving s'mores to the public at the Christmas events. I wish that's when we looked most like Jesus. But the truth is we are most like Jesus when we are compassionate towards people. And the less they deserve the compassion, the more we reflect Christ in that compassion. That's just free. Matthew goes on in verse 15 to say, that evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. In other words, Jesus is taking a little too much time being compassionate towards people. Again, he's just healing all of these people that have physical needs and the people, it's getting dark and the people probably have gone hours without eating and they're probably getting hungry and the disciples notice that they are a long ways away from food. They're in a remote area. There's not a Pizza Hut. There's not a Taco Bell. There's nothing. They are all alone. And the disciples begin identifying a potential problem. And they recommend to Jesus, we, hey, we better send the people home. Or we're going to have a lot of hangry people on our hands before long. And Jesus says in verse 16, that isn't necessary. You feed them. And, and, and then it says in verse 17, Matthew, if you read all the gospels, you'll notice Matthew is probably a lot like me. He, he leaves out a lot of details. Like he gets, he gets the, like the main stuff, but there's, if you read Mark and Luke and John and these stories, and we're going to look at John in a moment, there's some details that Matthew left out. And it, it just goes right on to verse 17. It says, one of the disciples said, but we, only, uh, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. So Jesus says, it's not necessary to send them away. You feed them. And somebody in the audience, one of the disciples says, well, we only got five loaves of bread and two fish. And that wasn't even their food. That was a young boy's lunch that was in the crowd. Matthew leaves that part out, but but John doesn't because John records the same exact story in in his gospel, but he gives more details of the dialogue that's going on between Jesus and his disciples. And I don't want to leave this out because I think it's important that we hear this dialogue because in John chapter 6, verse 5, at some point here, Jesus turns to Philip and he says, Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? (laughs) Now, the text records that there were at least 5,000 men in the crowd. They didn't count the wives, they didn't count the kids, but a rough estimate of everybody there would have been between 15 and 20,000 
people are who are in this crowd, in this wilderness, listening to Jesus. And Jesus' question to Philip is, where are we going to buy enough bread for all of these people? Now, we fed about 50 people here Tuesday for lunch at a pastor's conference, and everybody who volunteered and cooked and served, by the way, you should be proud of your church, man. You guys served and you loved on those pastors well. But I talked to some of you uh, at the seniors' breakfast the next day, and I just said, hey, you guys tired? Yeah. We fed 50 people max, and we all went home tired. Jesus is asking Philip, where are we going to get enough bread to feed the population of Festus and DeSoto combined? (laughs) There's not a restaurant in the country that's going to take that call. Could you imagine tomorrow morning me getting on the phone Hey, y'all do catering? Yes, we do. Great. Um, can, we, can we just get some bread? Okay. We got rolls. Will that do? Yeah. We'll take some rolls. How many do you need? I don't know. We're going to be feeding between fifteen and 20,000 people. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah, right? Excuse, about 15. I don't know how many. Maybe two rolls per person. I don't know. You do the math. I, but we're going to be feeding about... 15 to 20,000 people. Okay, well, I'm, I'm not sure that's even a possibility for us, but when do you need them? Well, we kind of need them. Can I get them in a few hours? <laughs> Click, right? Nobody is taking that phone call. Even today, 2022, with all of the state-of-the-art equipment that commercial restaurants have to push out food. That's what they're meant to do. Push. Nobody in this country would take a call to feed 15, 20,000 people. Just rolls today. None. And this is the dilemma that Jesus offers to Philip. That's why Philip was always, or Jesus was always testing his disciples. And that's what it says. That's why I love verse six, because in John um, Chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Jesus was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And I don't know, I find comfort in that. I, kind, I find comfort in knowing that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Because here's the deal. When we find ourselves up against uncertainty, when we find ourselves up against the impossible, God already knows. When we are standing going, I don't know what I'm going to do, God already knows what he is going to do. And Philip is over here still trying to calculate, bless his heart, in verse 7, he goes, well, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. And in verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, well, here's a young boy with five barley loaves, not even the good loaves. This is the poor man's bread, the barley loaves. He has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that going to do with this huge crowd? And this is where I think we arrive at our big question for, the, to, for today. What are we to do When there is a task before us that is greater than our ability to face it. You have any of those in your life? That you're staring at something in the face that has you so dazed and confused, 
You're staring at that mountain or that giant that's so impossible for you. And you know that you don't have what it takes to overcome. 15,000 hungry people with nowhere to go and nothing to eat except the young boy's five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. And back to Matthew chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus says, well, bring it to me. Now, who wants to be that disciple that steals this little boy's lunch, right? <laughs> hey, sorry about this. Uh, thanks for planning and preparing, but we're going to need to see that, that lunch. Now, it's not for us. It's for Jesus, okay? And, and they take it to Jesus. And this is, this is one of the most baffling verses in all the scripture for me. I love it. And as they're gathering this little boy's lunch and they're bringing it, Jesus tells all the people, to sit down in the grass while all the disciples are going, no, 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 no. Send them home. <laughs> like five loaves, two fish, still not going to get it done. Okay, keep, keep us around. We'll, we'll make it work. The 12, your original followers, but you need to send, don't have them sit down. Go home. It goes on in verse 19. And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up towards heaven. And he blessed it. Father, thank you for this food that we are all gonna eat today. Doubt the disciples are praying at this moment. They're probably looking around at each other going, this doesn't make sense. Jesus is going crazy. Let's go. Well, he's got his eyes closed. I don't know. They're, they're, they're thinking, what in the world is Jesus up to? And then... After he's done blessing it, I want you to see this picture. He begins five loaves, two fish. He begins breaking it, the bread, and he's putting it into baskets. And he's taking the fish, and he's breaking it into pieces, and he's putting it into baskets. And he says, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. He says, go ahead. I, I want you to start handing this out. And this is a moment I always stop in this story, and I just ponder it for a moment. I ponder the story because I believe the disciples are in this moment, Melissa. Where are they going to go, right? Jesus hands them these baskets and says, I want you to just start handing it out. And, and in this moment, the disciples have a, a decision to make. They're going to either have to trust Jesus at the risk of being embarrassed they're going to have to walk away, maybe slip away while he's still blessing the food. And as the story goes, they, they took the baskets and they started handed, handing out the bread. Now you do the math, five loaves, two fish broken into 12 baskets, probably not a lot in the baskets. How many could this amount of food actually reach? But they started handing out the food anyway, and they, they reached in, and they, they would grab the last piece, and they, oh, there's another piece. And they'd reach in and grab that and hand it, and there's another piece. And then another. And then another. And another. And another. And another. And the story tells us that they never ran out of food. 
And in verse 20, it says, they all ate as much as they wanted. Can you imagine how stingy the disciples are being in the first couple? Oh, man. But by the time you get to 100 and 1,000, you're like, this is awesome. There's, there's more. Can you just imagine with, with, every, with every person, their, their confidence, their faith that there's going to be food in the basket grows, and their faith in Jesus grows. And it says afterward, this is just, just bragging at this point, verse 20. And after everybody had ate as much as they wanted, the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, it would have been a cool story if they got to the last person, number 19,999, and you get to the 20,000, and the basket's empty, and you praise God that he was sufficient. But no, no, no. They all come back to Jesus, and their baskets are as full as they were when they left. That is pretty amazing. What is so significant about that, in my opinion, is this. I believe it speaks to the sufficiency of Christ. He always has enough for us. He always has enough for us. When you are running low, when you feel like you have nothing left to give, Jesus never runs out. Verse 21 says about 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and all of the children. And here's the truth. Whether it was 5,000 or 15,000 or 50,000, there would have been enough because Jesus is always enough. He is sufficient for our every need. Hear me. He is sufficient for your need right now. We're a real church. We had people stand right here at this microphone while they're going and says, I don't understand. And with each one of those testimonies, they, they basically said, but I'm trusting in the sufficiency of Christ. It's not always that pretty, by the way. Sometimes we don't get past that question. I don't understand and in this moment, I'm struggling to see his sufficiency. And that's why another beauty of the gathering, because when you can't see it, you're surrounded by people that point you to it. What are you facing right now that is greater than you? What task is before you that is greater than the ability within you? If God, if God can feed 5,000 men and their families with five loaves of bread and two fish, what can't he do for us? The task before Jesus and his disciples was great, but Jesus was greater. Jesus is always greater. He's always greater, even when we don't understand it, when, even when we don't see it. The truth is Jesus is always greater. And so the big idea this morning is this. If Jesus can use five loaves and two fish to do the impossible, then God can use you to do the impossible. If Jesus can use a young boy and his lunch to feed the masses, imagine what he could do through 
you. We see the faith of the disciples to pass out the food, but I don't want us to miss the faith of the boy who gave up his food. It was all he had. Granted, it wasn't much, but it was all he had, and he trusted it to Jesus. And Jesus used it to meet the physical needs of every single person there that day. Imagine what Jesus could do through us if we would just trust him with everything we have. And by the way, the less we have, the bigger the story when God uses it. I'm not going to bring you down this morning, but Paul's talked something about the foolish things that God chooses to use. And and again, I don't want to discourage you, but we're the foolish things in that text. (laughs) The less we have, the more glory God gets. One of our kingdom expressions here at Journey is this, blessed people, bless people. We believe that God has blessed us to enjoy his good gifts, but we also believe that he's a, he wants to allow others to enjoy our good gifts. Nothing ends with us. That's what we say all the time, right? This story could have been so much different if the, if the young boy would have said, no. Everybody else should have brought their lunch. Everybody else should have been as responsible as my mom was that packed my lunch, right? Story would have been a lot different if when the disciples said, hey, we're going to need that, and the boy just took off running the opposite direction. No, you don't. But he didn't. He gave it to Jesus, and not only was he blessed with his lunch, but everybody else there that day was blessed with his lunch. And it reminds me, when we talk about blessed people, blessed people, one of our Foundational scriptures for that is 1 Timothy chapter 6 when Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. And it's hard to see this young boy in the story as rich, but when you're the only one with the lunch, you're pretty rich. When everybody there is hungry and you're the only one with the fish and bread, you're rich. I love this. Paul says, your trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. We have what we have, number one, from God, and number two, to enjoy. Everything we have has been given to us by God, and he's given it to us to enjoy. We don't want to be that church that says, you should enjoy the things God gives you. You should lay it on the altar. You should give it all away. That's not what Paul Paul says here. Paul says, hey, if you are rich, It's because God has made you rich. God has made you rich so that you can enjoy, but don't miss this. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So here's the three truths. Everything you have is from God. God has given it to you to enjoy, and he's given it to you for others to enjoy too. Nothing ends with us. We have been blessed to enjoy, and we have been blessed for others to enjoy as well. Verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I believe there's a chance that someday we're going to get to heaven, 
and we're going to meet this guy from Matthew 14. And he's going to say, hi, my name is so-and-so. And we're going to like, okay. And he's going, no, 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 I, I'm the young boy in the scriptures that had the five loaves and the two fish. We're like, oh, okay, we never knew your name. You weren't significant enough to get your name in the Bible. We just know what you did, right? And we're going to get to perhaps ask him, how did, it, how did it feel that day? What was it like in that moment to see God do so much, so little? And maybe, just maybe, we'll get to sit down in heaven because we're going to have forever, and we're going to get to hear his story of what it was like for him that day to give Jesus just his five loaves and his two fish and watch Jesus bless it so that everybody could eat and enjoy. How cool would it be for us to live our lives in such a way that someday somebody wants to ask us, what was it like to see God do so much with so little? And maybe we'll get the chance to sit down and tell our stories too. But as I wrap this up, I want us just a little farther in the story. Jesus is going to tell his disciples, Melissa mentioned it in her testimony. He's going to stand before a crowd and he's going to tell his disciples that he is the bread of life. And anyone who wants eternal life is going to have to eat of him. It didn't go over too well. That sermon didn't. And by the way, this isn't the last time that Jesus' disciples are going to see him break bread because they're soon going to be sitting around the table with him celebrating the Passover meal. And they are going to watch Jesus tear the bread sitting at the table. They're going to see him tear that bread into pieces as he tells him, that this is his body that is soon to be beaten and broken and ripped apart on their behalf. And as great of a story as Matthew 14 is of Jesus fulfilling the physical hunger pains of the multitude, there is a greater story here, and it is of Jesus fulfilling the spiritual hunger of the world. His body was broken and his blood, his blood shed so that his new covenant people could be filled with the bread of life and then carry it to the masses so that the masses could taste and see that the Lord is good. I love this story because we could say, well, maybe we're the little boy in the story and we're to give all to Jesus and perhaps that's true. But I even like to say that we're the baskets. We're the baskets that carry the bread, that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then when we go from old life to new life that we're going to experience in a few minutes, this bread of life, this Jesus is no longer just somewhere. He's in us. And then we get to go to the masses and we get to say, taste and see as we have tasted and seen that the Lord is Good. There is a great task before us. The world is starving for truth. We live in a world that no longer knows truth. Amen. I could preach on that for an hour. Everything's upside down. There is no absolute truth. Truth is whatever you want it to be, and that's not even hidden anymore. In the 90s and the 2000s, it at least was, you were kind of, you're just weird if you thought that. But now it's normal. 
Truth is whatever you want. Define your own truth. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You don't get to define truth. I'm truth. There is absolute truth. And it's found in Jesus Christ. The world is starving for truth and the need is greater than us, but greater is he that is in us, the bread of life. He is enough. And when we give him all that we are, and when we give him all that we have, he can do great things through us. You have been blessed to be a blessing. So give God everything you have and let him give away to others through you what he has given to you. I believe there's two prayers of response to this sermon this morning. Depending on where you're at is, is the prayer that maybe you need to respond with. But prayer number one is this. You desperately need God to show up in your life right now because there is a task before you. There is this, this as the disciples identified the problem, too many people, not enough food. You've identified a problem in your life. There's too much of something and there's not enough of something. And you are asking question, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? The task before you is greater than the ability within you, but today you have been reminded that Jesus is still greater than your problem. He's still greater than your task. Jesus is enough, and so you surrender all you are to him. It's your only choice other than walking away, and that's not a choice. Or maybe it's the second response. Maybe, just maybe, you are the answer to someone else's task that is before them. Maybe there's someone you don't even know they're asking, but they too are asking, what am I going to do? And the beauty is that Jesus already knows what he is going to do. He is sending you. Can you imagine as Jesus is blessing the food, the disciples are going, this is going to be bad, really, really bad. And he already knew that he was sending his disciples out, and they were going to be wowed, and at the end of this thing, they're going to be so full of faith. And there is somebody today in your world, in your life that you rub shoulders with, that they are asking, maybe not out loud, but they're asking, there is something that I can't get around. There is something that I can't go over. What am I supposed to do? And Jesus already knows what he wants to do in their life. And he wants to send you. He wants to send you with the bread of life so that they can taste and see that there is one better, that there is one greater, that they, hey, they can't overcome, but there's one that's already overcome on their behalf. You just need to be the one to faithfully take it to them. You need to be the one that faithfully lives it out before them. Your prayer is simply a prayer of submission. All I have, all I am is yours. So two different scenarios, two different prayers, but both lead to the same end, surrender and submission. It's the only option for us, church. It's our only choice to submit and to surrender all we are and all we have to the king of kings. And if you're hard-headed like me, 
You're going to have to do that daily. Because doing that today is not going to be enough for tomorrow. Because tomorrow, you're going to start trying to carry the load of the world around, and you're going to look at that, whatever's in front of you, going, what am I going to do? And you start making a list. And you, you can't sleep at night because all you can do, you're just paralyzed by the fear of what's in front of you. And the whole time, we, we've taken our eyes and our minds off of Christ, the one that's already overcome. And we stop trusting him. Man, how much better would it have been that day with Jesus? Man, he starts blessing the food and we're like, hey, man, this is, we're getting ready to see some exciting things happen. God's getting ready to do a wonderful work here. But no, we're all really going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'm saying, church, we need to stop just going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And start saying, God, what are you doing? What are, where are you working? How can we be used? Everything I am, everything I have, it's yours. Use it. Use it to do great things, to do impossible things. In this town, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, it's got to be a daily thing. It's a daily surrendering. It's a daily submission. I love the old hymn. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. That's the only thing Jesus is asking from us today. He's not asking you to answer the question of what am I going to do. He already knows what he's going to do. Surrender all that you have, trusting that he's already doing, and rest in his sufficiency because he is enough. Let's pray. Lord, we are so, so, so blessed and rich to have your word, your word that reminds us of who you are, your word that reminds us of, of what you've done. And this is just another story in Matthew that speaks to your sufficiency. God, it, it again brings us to a point that we're probably asking what the disciples were asking. What are you gonna do? How are you gonna work this out? Our back's up against the wall. We don't understand. But God, you're not asking us to understand. You're asking us to, this morning to trust you. With all we are, with all we have, God, may we not hold on to anything this morning. May we surrender and submit all that we have to you. May we watch you do what only you can do with the very little that we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, <laughs>